It's great to be with you uh, this evening. I've had a really enjoyable day at Christchurch Winchester. What an amazing bunch of people. Uh, so thank you for giving me the chance to, to speak to you tonight. We're facing a, an unprecedented crisis. During this service, while you're sitting here, approximately five to maybe 10 species around the world will go extinct. You know that we're facing um, a serious challenge, not only to the existence of nature and habitats, but us as well. A survey very recently at Bath University asked 10,000 students around Britain and around the rest of Europe uh, three simple questions. And the first question was, what worries you the most? And the second is, are you losing sleep over it? And the third question was, do you still have hope? So to their surprise, when they were asked the question, what worries you the most? Right at the top of the, the list was climate change. Nearly 80% of young people who responded said climate change is the thing that worries me the most. And then when they were asked, well, do you still have hope that we can do something about it? Over 50%, 54% said, no, I think it's too late. And interestingly, many scribbled a footnote on there saying that actually the responsibility for that lies with the, my parents' generation, my grandparents' generation. They have messed it up, and we are inheriting this mess. We're the next generations of leaders, but we're faced with catastrophe. And then the third question was, are you losing sleep? And just under 50% said, yes. I'm so worried about the future, it is making me lose sleep. Now, the huge challenge is all about hope, isn't it? We can look at the crisis and we can feel like rabbits in a car headlights. It's so easy to feel like, well, what on earth are we meant to do? The problem is just too big for us. In four weeks' time, I'm going to be up at COP26 in Glasgow. And the Tear Fund video talked about we need to keep temperatures to under one and a half degrees Celsius rise or we may not have hope. That was the implied message. And I want to say this. I really believe we're not going to get anywhere near one and a half degrees Celsius. We'll be lucky if we get two and a half. We are facing a climate catastrophe that's going to hit us hard and fast in the next 20 years. Life as we know it in this country, as well as many others, is going to change dramatically in your lifetimes. But that doesn't mean that at two degrees Celsius, we give up hope. The words in Psalms 33 remind us that it's not in our strength that we find hope. It's in the Lord's. Governments will meet in four weeks' time, and let's really hope they come up with some lasting, big-picture solutions to the climate crisis that we're facing. But in God, our starting point is to turn to him and say, this crisis is way bigger than governments. It's way bigger than nations. And it's way bigger than us as a church, as a city, and as individuals. So against that backdrop, what on earth does hope look like? And I entitled this evening, Catching the Fire, 
So I was talking to an Australian firefighter not so long ago. And he said, do you know the amazing thing about most of the fires in Australia? Is he said that the biggest fires often start with the smallest flames. He said, I didn't used to be a firefighter. I worked for the oil and gas industry until three years ago. And then my, fire, my house burned down. Uh, there was a bushfire. It was believed to be started deliberately. It was one guy with a cigarette butt, and he went to the grass, and he just touched the grass. And off the cigarette butt, it created a fire that covered an area half the size of Greater London. One cigarette butt. And his house burned down, and he said, but from that one spark, he realized he needed to change his life. He needed to turn it on its head and think, you know, I've taken all my life, and now I need to give back. I may have lost everything, he said, but I have gained so much more. And through it, he'd found a faith, and through it, he'd found a new reason to fight for something bigger and better. So what is it we can do? And I've thought of five things for tonight. How can we catch the fire and bring about the change that our nation and our planet needs at this time? And the first thing is to slow down. I'm a keen surfer, and a few weeks ago, I was out on my SUP board in an area of the Solent where the sign said, um, rapid current, it was a rip current, uh, do not surf here. So there were really clear signs up saying, do not surf, this is not a safe place to be. Uh, deep water, rapid tides, all the rest of it. And I thought, ah, nice opportunity. I quite like signs that say don't, because it gives me a reason to go and try it out. Uh, so I was on my SUP board, and I got hit in a rip current. I got pulled under a jetty. So I, mean, I, I got quite badly cut, and my board went one way, and I went the other. And as I was going one way, and the board was going the other, uh, somebody called out to me, mate, if you'd slow down and read the signs, you might not have been in the mess you're now in. And so before we think about what we can do with the planet, this is a great opportunity, individually and corporately as a church, to just slow down. What is it that you can change as an individual? We all know the stuff, don't we? But have we really thought about it? Can we go vegetarian? Can we eat less meat? Can we walk instead of going by car? Can we buy more organic? Can we buy more locally sourced? Can we plant trees? Can we get out in the community and can we act? What can we do? But before you go through this question, just slow down. Just pause and ask God, what is it you're asking of me? What is it, the difference that I can make in this time? I believe that every single one of you in this room can be a world changer. You can be a fire starter. You can be the guy with that cigarette butt lighting the grass, but not for the wrong reasons, for the right reasons. The impossible is possible with God, but with man it's not. So slow down is the first. The second then is to seek God. There are lots of times in the Bible, aren't there, where Jesus goes alone onto a hill to pray. He goes and seeks God during the times which are really hard and really tough. 
I find that I'm often closest to God when I'm outside in nature, on a hilltop, rock climbing, in the water, swimming, on my surfboard, just stopping and listening to God and saying, Lord, what are you asking of me? So God, having got, your, having got our attention by slowing down, we then turn and we pray and we seek his face. My grandmother, in her last year of life, was confined to her bed, and she spent most of her life as a missionary. And I said to her, surely you find this really frustrating? And she turned around and laughed, and she said, no, I'm closer to God in prayer now than I ever was when I was out on the mission field, because I can't do anything else other than to pray. So whether we're super active or whether we're in a position where we feel actually prayer is the only contribution we can make in this time of crisis around the planet, around the environment, around climate, we can all be people who pray and seek God. So we're called to slow down. We're called to seek God. And the third thing we're called to do is sow seeds. And I've got some helpers who are going to pass out uh, some wildflower bulbs. Um, Now let me tell you a little about what we're doing here. As you know, we've got an environmental crisis, but in this country, one of the things that we need help with is helping our insects, our bees and our pollinators, because they're in trouble because of climate change. And so it's not just about planting trees, it's about going around there and planting flowers that our insects can then thrive off. And so we've got in the tray here uh, 200 bulbs of 15 different spring wildflowers, Either grab one and stick it in a pot, and it'll come up somewhere between March and May. And it's very random. You might get an iris, you might get a daffodil, wild daffodil. Uh, You might get snowdrops, you might get crocuses, all sorts of possible. So take one, plant it, and see what you get. But think of it as a seed of hope. You're sowing something that is a symbol of hope in a dark place. It's providing light into a dark space. And you may think, this is really small and insignificant. But let me tell you a little story about why small and insignificant matters. A few weeks ago, I was preaching in Salisbury Cathedral. And at the end of the service, I was asking if people wanted to ask any questions. And this lady said, I live five floors up in a council flat. I'm a single mum. I've got a five-year-old boy. I don't drive a car. I don't have the money for organic food. The electricity and gas isn't controlled by me. It's controlled by the council state. I haven't got a garden. I haven't got a space to grow anything. You've said you can do all these amazing things for the planet, but I can't do any of them. So you tell me how what you've said will make a difference to my life. And to be honest, I didn't have an answer. And it was a bit like watching Wimbledon, because the whole audience looked back at me, expecting me to say something really intelligent, and I hadn't got anything to say. But I said this, I'll go away and think about it, and I'll phone you, and if I can think of anything, I'll give you a call. And the only thing I could think of was plant a tomato. (laughs) And so I phoned her up and I said, why don't you go down to Aldi's, buy a little tomato plant, put it on your kitchen windowsill, open the window. If you're really lucky and you get a flower, a bee might pollinate it. You're doing something for nature and you might get a tomato. And she said, is that really the best you can come up with? I'm like, oh. She said, listen, what I'll do is I will phone you back if it's made a difference to my life. And I really didn't expect to get a call from her. But six months later, she phoned me. And I was sitting at home. And she said, I bet you didn't expect to get a call from me. 
And she said, we did what you suggested. We bought a little tomato plant. We put it on the windowsill. It produced one flower. That one flower produced a tomato the size of a 50 pence piece. And then my son and I picked it. We hoped it was going to grow a bit more, but it didn't. And we cut the tomato in two and put half on my plate and half on my son's plate. At that point, she burst into tears. And she said, I now get what you mean about small because that was the best tasting tomato I've eaten in my life. And I realized that I and my son have helped to grow that tomato and we've worked hand in hand with God to do it. I tell you now that her windowsill in her kitchen is full of tomato plants. So catching the fire can be about the smallest changes and if you then magnify it across the whole estate, you can get some incredible things happen. So it's about slowing down, it's about seeking God, it's about sowing seeds. And the fourth of the fifth, there's two more, the fourth is sharing vision. Uh, one of the things I've worked on the last few years is taking a heroin dealing area in West London and transforming it with a team into a space full of nature for the local community and for local schools. And I was visiting it um, a few weeks ago, and in through the gate walked this really, really large Asian guy with gold chains around his neck, dark glasses on, and these two minders who looked like they definitely had guns in their pockets. Uh, and the three of them just walked onto the site, and he beckoned to me. And he looked at me and he said, um, I've done a lot of stuff here over 17 years that I don't really want to talk about. But I've been watching you for the last two years. And I've been watching how you share the vision with people who you wouldn't, I guess, naturally get on with. And he said, here, he said, I can no longer do the stuff that I've been doing here. And I've come in to say, we support you as a dealing community. We're supporting you and standing with you. And my mate here, Jonathan's really handy with a strimmer. At which point I was like, <laughs> like that. Yeah, it's great. I'm glad you've been here, but I might not take you up on the streamer offer. Uh, a few days later, he was actually arrested, and, and he's a, a, one of the dealers we know is currently still buying bars in, in London. But it was just really moving that as you share the vision, as you're willing to go there with people who you wouldn't naturally associate with, things happen. We've got a storytelling area in the middle, middle of the site and a few days ago, I watched as an imam from a local mosque, a Hindu leader and a Pentecostal pastor were talking and having a, a really furious but very polite argument about caring for creation. And I thought, my gosh, you can't manufacture these things. It's really exciting to see Jesus at work in the heart of a multicultural community in a place that a few years ago was full of heroin dealing. So it's about slowing down. It's about seeking God. It's about sowing seeds. It's about sharing vision with others. And the final one, and the most important one for me, is about singing praise to God. There are times when stuff can feel really dark. In February, I had a very close call with COVID. I found myself in hospital. I couldn't breathe. I had a bleeding onto both of my lungs. And given that I'm pretty fit and healthy, it was a real shock to the system. All my ability and power to control something had been taken away, had been stripped away, and I felt unbelievably exposed. And I remember on the second day waking up, and there was a sunset, a sunrise outside the window, 
I was watching as a flock of gulls were flying overhead with the sun rising. And despite feeling super ill, the one thing that I did go, went through my mind was praise God for this new day. And believe me, when you feel like you're not sure you're going to wake up the next morning, praising God for a new day takes on a whole new meaning. We need to remember the good things, the amazing things that are going on outside. There are 5,000 churches engaged in Eco Church now, doing things in their church and in their community. There are major landowners, conference centers, festivals who are taking environmental issues really seriously. Change is happening. But my message to you ends with this. Every one of you is a fire starter. We need fire starters in this generation to tackle climate change. You can be as creative as you like. I'm not interested in boxes. I'm not interested in the art of the possible. We serve an impossible God. And therefore, the season now is to think impossible. What are you going to spend your life doing? What are you going to build? What are you going to change? Are you going to be a fire starter? Because if we're not going to be fire starters, the next 20 years is seriously daunting. If we are, we've got good reason to praise.